Thanks for joining us for the GKW Business Solutions Podcast. I'm Richard Pyatt. We're here with Mike Craig and Will Craig, father and son team at GKW Business Solutions based in Rockford, Michigan, not too far from Grand Rapids on the west side of the state. If you heard our first episode, you might have then been intrigued to click the next one because we're going to continue with the discussion about uh, the idea of consulting and helping with lean manufacturing operations and understanding when perhaps a fresh set of eyes might be good for your business. Mm -hmm. And in this episode, we'll talk a little bit about the myths associated with TPS and lean manufacturing. Gentlemen, welcome. Thank you, Richard. Yes, thank you very much, Richard. So, Mike, we'll start with this one. And I imagine you've heard this before. Lean won't work for my business. Why do people believe this? Why is it a myth? It's a really interesting discussion. There's a lot of reasons why people believe that. When we say TPS, the Toyota production system, a lot of people believe that it is strictly an automotive solution. And that is absolutely not the case. I have used it in high volume food. I have used it in automotive. It's where I learned it. But I also used it in aviation and aerospace, and I have seen it used across the board in any manufacturing business. So there is a misconception that Toyota production system is automotive. So we do, Will and I, do a little bit of disguising, and we'll call it lean manufacturing uh, or continuous improvement to try to get past some of those misconceptions. That's part of the problem. Part of the problem is also where individuals, we'll call them lean practitioners, will go into businesses and they will try to convince the business that there is only one approach to lean manufacturing. It's a textbook approach, and that's the only way you're going to do it. It's the only way it works, which can't be further from the truth. It is a hybrid approach. It is identified and built for the need of the business as opposed to just a broad brush stroke, and we hope it works. So there are practitioners that don't properly understand how to do it. And then there are practitioners that just do a poor job at it. And so through experience, businesses say, we tried it, it didn't work. That is as much the practitioner's issue as it is the business's issue. And so it's a hybrid approach. There is not a one-size-fits-all approach. And more times than not, if it's properly thought through and implemented, it is extremely successful in all manufacturing opportunities. Uh, it is very common in the healthcare industry. There are many other businesses out there that have integrated link concepts into their businesses and done extremely well at it. So the practitioner is as much a part of the issue as anything. Wow. I think this is probably true in a lot of industries, in a lot of examples of acumen as a result of our experiences. So if we've had an unsuccessful experience, we've got to figure out why and, and get around that. And I suppose it leads to that, that myth. Another uh, comment, Richard, just real quick, Yeah, is often consultants will go in and they will offer quick solutions. A one-month Kaizen event is a common event in the industry. But what that doesn't do is it doesn't integrate any depth of knowledge into the organization. It's a one-off event. They come in, they may fix a specific problem, but the organization isn't capable of carrying those tools forward and using it for the next problem. And so 
the experience is I don't understand it. I don't know how to use it. Doesn't work for me. Mm-hmm. And and that's as much the issue with the consultant as it is the organization itself. We're a little bit different. We want to teach the organization to use the tools and help them figure out which tools to use to create that hybrid approach to support these specific needs of their business. An important distinction for sure. Myths associated with TPS and lean manufacturing. <laughs> well, lean is not a one-size-fits-all approach. Absolutely. There is a book definition and there's a practical application, and you have to meet somewhere in the middle. And the needs of each organization are different. The pain points of each organization are different. And how to address those can potentially be different. Uh, so what our job is through the assessment process is figure out the right tools out of our toolbox and implement those tools and teach those tools to whatever business we're working with. So it's a very important approach and it's about middle ground. Mm-hmm. We certainly would like to snap our fingers and <laughs> and have an approach that is clearly written and then we just do it and it's done. But what we've learned, I think, in, in life in general, right, is uh, some things are not that simple and a hybrid approach is more common and more uh, useful, isn't it? For the long term of the business, it needs to be fitted to the business. We don't want it to be a flavor of the month thing. We don't want it to be a one month we're in and out. And so it takes time to properly evaluate the needs of the business, teach the team, integrate the tools in, and then support the team as they use the tools. It takes time. And that is exactly, Richard, why we work with smaller businesses, because They understand that it's going to take time. They understand that it isn't about what my profit's going to be this month or this quarter, which is typically what you find with public businesses. We don't work with them for that reason because they don't have the patience to do it and do it correctly. To that end, speaking of snapping our fingers, another myth is implementation is a quick process. Mm -hmm. And that is a myth. So what is the typical time frame that you see? There's some quick gains from a Kaizen event, but that's not a full length fix of the problem. It's kind of a Band-Aid fix to an extent. Um, So we suggest that it could be a 12 to 18 month process. But in that, you got to also account for the culture change that your organization is going to see. Culture will not change overnight. The culture has to embrace and adopt what we're suggesting. And through that, there will be an improvement in culture as well. That's interesting. The idea that uh, if something's not working correctly, culture has been affected by that. And to that end, if you reverse that and and correct the problem, people feel better about what they're doing, don't they? The beauty of what we teach the team is the value of the the team members on the floor. Um, Sometimes we get wound up and we believe that management has all the answers, all the solutions, and they make decisions about the business without working with the team on the floor. Will and I, we go to the floor. We work with the team members on the floor. We teach them what's necessary, and we explain to them why change is necessary. If they understand the change, they may not necessarily agree with it, but they will support it. And Lean is all about using the most significant asset of the organization, and it isn't the management team. It isn't the equipment. It's the operators. It's the team members. They're the ones that make it work. And to Will's point, that's when the culture makes a huge shift. Here's another myth. Radical change is not needed. 
So you're saying business owners should be prepared for radical change, but typically what does that mean, Mike? Well, I think it's it's an interesting question because depending on the owner you talk to, any change could be considered radical. Mm-hmm. We talk with businesses quite often that for whatever reason they want to talk to us, but there is no indication that they want to change anything. Um, they're comfortable or they're, or maybe I should say they're not to the point where they can acknowledge that change is necessary. When we talk with these individuals, we'll do the assessment, we'll give them the proposal. But if they aren't willing to change, and I say we give them the proposal, often we won't. Because if change isn't part of the plan, we can't be helpful to them. And unless we're creating value, measurable value in the form of cash, then we don't need to be paid. We get paid based on the improvements of the business. So that's an example. We do find businesses that are under under distress. And they've got lots of reasons to change because they see their legacy is in danger. Mm. That's one issue. But we also work with owners to understand that through the processes that we bring to the table, it will improve the value not only today of the organization, but when they get ready to sell the business, they'll be able to maximize the value of the business and sell it at an optimum price. That is part of what we bring to the table and giving them the tools to create value year over year over year. I'm lingering on something you said, the notion that they might be talking to you, but they're not ready to make change. Mm -hmm. That's interesting to me. How did they talk to you? (laughs) There must have been some reason that they're talking to you, but yet it hasn't solidified in their mind that it needs addressing, maybe? I think there's some of that. I mean, they deep down know there's an issue, but I think often business owners don't want to acknowledge they need help. And so if there's a chance that they can fix the problem on their own, often they'll try it and, uh-huh. and buy more time. But at some point, it becomes apparent that, that really all they're doing is what they've always done. And the results isn't necessarily going to allow the legacy of the business to move forward. And that can actually put the business in jeopardy as far as a going concern. It's interesting when you talk about radical change, there are things that we do with businesses that are considered radical. But when it gets back to what changes are made, it is the business owner and the team that make the decisions. We will give them tools, we'll make recommendations, and then ultimately it's theirs to determine what to do. An example of a radical change could be, um, I will set up a machine and it takes 15 hours to set it up and I'm going to run a one-year supply of inventory because that's what I've always done. A radical change is spending a few thousand dollars to put in a, a quick change process and now you're able to run a week's worth of product instead of a year's worth of product. That's a radical change, mm-hmm. not only to the business owner, the management team, but the guy on the floor is going, why would I want to do that? <laughs> and all I have to do is show him my wallet because that is real cash. And, and often they can reduce inventory by 70 to 80%. That generates hard cash for the business to reinvest if that's what the owner decides to do. So that is radical by definition, but it is highly effective. And that's where, you know, I would say it's radical, but I've seen businesses do it over and over and over again with with astounding results. 
Well, we certainly can understand that um, if a process has been done the same way or similarly for a long time, that uh, just changing that process, maybe in uh, the slightest way, is considered radical. I, I think that's absolutely true. Yeah. Okay, our final myth. Well, my business is not in distress, so I don't need continuous improvement. How do you work through helping a business owner remove the blinders and see clearly? Yeah, that's an interesting question, Richard. Um, it's it's often tough initially, but once we start making changes, all this can be tracked back financially through the cash flow statements and the income statements. We are focused on proactive changes that increase cash flow. And if we're not focused on that, then we're looking at the wrong thing. I think uh, an interesting incentive for an owner, another reason why we work with small businesses is ultimately that owner is going to pass it on to another generation of his family, or he's going to sell it. If he believes that we can improve the value of his business by working with us and Businesses are typically valued based on cash flow generated or EBITDA. And if we can improve their EBITDA by 40%, I'm making it up, but it's not that uncommon. That's hard cash that he will get when he sells the business. So that often is a reason that owners will say, hmm, maybe we need to give this some thought. Again, it costs them nothing to talk to us. The initial discussion is free. The uh, assessment and proposal is free. And then they have a decision to make, you know, can we help them or not? And if we're not a good fit, that's okay. We only want to work with businesses that we can create value. Well, you've given us some things to think about. That's for sure. Even as we have taken some of these uh, commonly held myths and, and tried to shatter them, even if folks didn't buy into the myth, they've heard some pretty interesting responses from you about, uh, about them in general. So think about that. Check the show notes and click through to GKW Business Solutions website. Make contact with Mike and Will if some of this has resonated with you and uh, if you have nothing to lose with that uh, free consultation to just get the ball rolling and have some perspective and some fresh eyes. GKW Business Solutions website, once again, linked in the show notes. So click through and learn more. Next time, when we come back in our third episode, we're going to talk about the things you should know before hiring a business consultant. So be watching for those episodes to drop and we'll be continuing our conversations to help you think this through on the GKW Business Solutions podcast. Mike and Will, until next time, thank you. Thank you, Richard. Thank you, Richard. Thank you, Richard.